Alrighty, gang. Welcome to Brolosity. Philosophy through the eyes of an idiot. Um, so, <clears throat> today, we are sponsored by True Protein. So, if you guys want supplements for all your training needs, uh, True Protein are the place to go. So, you can head to trueprotein.com.au and check out their full range. So their full range includes all your different types of proteins, whey protein, vegan protein, weight loss protein, night protein, elite protein, collagen protein. Look, to be honest, they might have too much protein. Um, also, they have performance-based blends, weight loss blends, meal replacement blends, post-workout fat burners, blah, blah, blah. Um, mass gainers, they've got um, health foods like... Um, superfood powders, nut butters, uh, MCT oils, all the good stuff. So no matter what you guys are trying to do for your training and wellness needs, um, if you're a weightlifter, if you're a figure model, if you're a keto kid, um, whatever you need, True Protein have got it for you. So that's really great. And they're a partner of ours and a long-time partner of ours. So if you want to support the show, then if you have supplement needs then head on over to trueprotein.com.au, use the code BRO, and you will get 10% off. Also, we are brought to you today by Yeti. So Yeti, guys, uh, I've lost my Yeti read um, about um, what Yeti are, but they're actually just, to simplify it, they're the best, <coughs> to simplify it, they're the best premium outdoor brand uh, in the Australian marketplace. So they have multiple different uh, options for your coolers. So getting out into the wild, if you're going camping, if you're going fishing, if you're going um, just a weekend away, uh, you're having a barbecue with your, with your buds. They've got the Tundra, which is this massive um, epic cooler that's probably, it's probably you would have to say, the best cooler, um, you know, um, what would you call it? Esky in Australia, chili bin, chili bun, chili, chili bun in New Zealand. Um, Bugger if I know what they call it in other places. But <clears throat> they've got the best coolers uh, in the world, really. So um, here's some of the uh, here's some of the read. Born out of a frustration with coolers that cracked, caved, and gave up, Yeti set out to improve three main elements: durability, extended ice retention, and weather resistance. Um, so I've got my um, Yeti tumbler next to me here. Keeps my water and or coffee hot and or cool, which is great. Um, they've got all kinds of stuff, guys. So um, basically, why is Yeti worth it? Well, you get what you pay for, superior insulation. They're virtually indestructible and you get a five-year warranty on all hard coolers. So to learn more about Yeti, jump online at au.yeti.com forward slash bro. And don't look back. Alrighty. Lastly, guys, we are brought to you today by Athena. So what is Athena? Athena is an online freelancer marketplace, guys. So basically what we do is we find the most talented freelancers all around the world and we align them with our clients to work inside of their business. So if you're a business owner, for example, and you have... Let's use, let's use a, a worked example here. So Say you're a business owner and you have 40 hours in your week and it's you and a small team and so on and so forth. Um, if you've got 40 hours in your week and you split those ta uh, that time into tasks, so you've got your real top priority tasks, 15 hours a week, that's sales, marketing, retention. 
um, whatever that might be. Then you've got, say, 10 hours of in-between, middle, middle grade tasks, stuff that's not the absolute needle movers, but stuff that still needs to be done. And then you've got 15 hours of absolute rubbish tasks, low-value tasks. I shouldn't say it like that. Um, but tasks that need to be done, but don't need to be done by the most experienced, you know, the most um, trusted uh, members of the team. So that might be some sort of um, research, data entry, um, reconciling the books, chasing failed payments. All these tasks is, exist inside of every business. And the whole idea is to get a really highly qualified, motivated, overqualified really, um, you know, uh, squire to come in and help you in your business to take those 15 hours of, you know, low value tasks, turn them into maybe two hours of management or an hour of management per week and then give you 13 or 14 hours to focus on the high value stuff. So it's more sales, marketing, retention, partnerships, product development, whatever it is. That's how business really should work, guys. You should be building a team around you in order for you to concentrate on the most important things as the entrepreneur or the business owner or the leader or whatever you want to call yourself um, and making sure that the, the low end stuff gets taken by um, taking off your plate by somebody who can um, yeah help you do your best work. So if you're in a position where you need some administrative help, if you're in a position where you need some um, some some content marketing help, some some media help, some SEO, um, whatever it is, we can help you. We can find whoever you're looking for. So to make an inquiry, head to Athena.co um, or uh, and you'll get 20 hours free. If you use the code bro when you in the in the inquiry box, um, also you can also email me directly if you have any questions at doc, doc at athena.co and that's a t h y n a, and that's it. So here's the show. Now before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one: no touching of the hair or face. So we'll just jump into it, eh? Yep. All right. Welcome to Bro Philosophy. We're here with Rowan Connolly, football writer, um, um, father of uh, footyology. <laughs> did I pronounce that right? Yes. Foot- footyology. Well, I can't think how else you pronounce <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so, Rowan, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really keen to just hear your um, your history and you know devoting you know your life to the game of AFL football. Yep. Um, but firstly, just tell us a little bit about yourself, Rowan. Who who, who is Rowan Connolly? Oh, jeez, that's a fairly broad brush sure, way to sure start, is, isn't mate. it? Um, <laughs> Oh look, I, I think I'm pretty normal. I, I'm a you know I'm Australian born, uh, youngest of uh, four kids. Um, uh, I'm I'm married, divorced. I've got two. 
kids, one adult, one nearly adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've repartnered. I've got a stepson. Uh, we live in southeast suburban Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. Uh, I, I think I'm a, a passionate sort of person. So mm-hmm. you know, some people would say obsessive, but <laughs> I have perhaps a, in some ways a narrow range of interests but I'm I'm very sort of passionate about all of them and and mm-hmm. obviously sports one and and particularly football but you mm-hmm. know I do love my cricket I mm-hmm. love uh soccer mm-hmm. um you know I've I've played most things golf tennis etc mm-hmm. etc mm-hmm. so that's that's one stream um I'm huge on I'm I'm a big music head yep um but again tends to be fairly narrow I'm a, I'm a bit of a rock pig you know yeah. so uh, i love my head where's your iron maiden t-shirt mate no i'm i'm uh, <laughs> Didn't wear that one today rage against the machine oh really yeah, rage yeah, against the machine yeah. no i've got i was a big rage fan oh uh, well i still am I, I think i've got about five rage against the machine t-shirts yeah, actually yeah. i do cool. like my music t-shirts so yeah. uh what else do I, do I like musically uh a lot of that seattle stuff alice in chains mm-hmm. Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. like a lot of australian rock probably of an earlier vintage mm-hmm. um what else? I, I, I'm, you know, I'm into popular culture, you know, uh, movies, TV. Um, I am uh, quite political, you mm-hmm. know. I, I take a keen interest in, in politics and I, I get involved in that on social media, specifically mm-hmm. Twitter, mm-hmm. which where my partner, Abby, would say I spend far too much time <laughs> on. But now Fair I'm enough. thinking about it, most of those interests sort of stem from a family connection. Um, what I mean by that is my father was a career journalist yep. and uh, he um, he started out basically as a sports journalist, a, mm-hmm. a reporter and a, um, a production person, so an, a sub-editor yep. and editor. Uh, he ended up actually being a film critic, um, mm-hmm. So and that covers another base. So he, he was a film critic for the last... Uh, 20 odd years of his career yep. um, my eldest sister is also in film or was in film she mm-hmm. was a documentary maker cool ended up running Film Australia right. um, before that was wound up by the oh. government of a day oh so you've got deep um, deep connections in all those things really and musically speaking my brother who sadly is no longer with us but he uh, was a guitarist and uh, he played in a, a lot of bands around Melbourne but probably most uh, famously with um, Paul Kelly so oh really yeah, um, Steve was the lead guitarist for Paul Kelly and the Cover Girls and then Paul Kelly and the Messengers. So, cool. you know, the iconic Leaps and Bounds film clip on the silos mm-hmm. looking over the MCG. If you have a look at that, you'll see my brother there with his, away. his sunnies on and his <laughs> black top. And he actually, mad Essendon supporter like me, he used to have a black Stratocaster with a red sash on it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm an Essendon supporter too, you know. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm a bummer. So we'll get along good here. That's Imagine good. if I was a Collingwood supporter. Oh, look. It, <laughs> takes, we get it takes all sorts. It, it, <laughs> I don't know if there's that much to talk about with Essendon for the last couple of decades. <laughs> but there, look, there... I, mean, I think there is. Jeez, I've, made, I've spun this one out, haven't I? Um, <laughs> no, it's they're, good. they're my interests. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I follow them all pretty passionately and um and and the media you know obviously mm-hmm. that's been my whole career so i am passionately interested in the media as a whole and and i must say you know lately quite despairing about the direction that's headed yeah no for sure i couldn't agree more on that um so as someone who's uh, you seem like a pretty all-round pretty pretty bog-standard aussie bloke 
Yeah. Loves his family, loves his sport, loves Aussie rock, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. But, um, and I mean that just in, in, in no, no negative terms, but for, for like, for someone who kind of had a bit of everything growing up in sporting, sporting and, uh, and in the film and art and journalism stuff, what got you to lean into football? Um, yeah, it's a good question. It sort of, it sort of came out of nowhere, really. I, I can remember um, being taken to my first game at the age of about five. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we went sort of irregularly, but I was aware of it. And then I sort of remember this vividly. When I was seven, um, for some reason, oh, yeah, it, it coincided, and this is how old I am, <laughs> it coincided with Essendon had been in the doldrums for a few years and mm-hmm. they got Des Tuddenham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Collingwood champion to come across from Collingwood and be captain coach of Essendon. Mm-hmm. And so at the start of 1972, there was all this optimism about Tuddy coming to Essendon. And yep. that sort of sparked my interest. And, and just like that, you know, I started, first of all, listening to the games every week. Um, and then the next season, 1973, I started going with Steve, who was uh, my older brother, who was yep. six years older than me. Yep. We started going every week. And uh, I just became totally obsessive about it. You know, I'd go to the games, I'd watch all the replays mm-hmm. and all the panel shows. I would, uh, and with my father being a journalist as well, I guess two things sort of converged. And yeah. I used to um, come home from games and, and write my own little match reports and yeah, draw right. pictures with them and stuff. Cool. And, um so, yeah, I was quite obsessive about it. And really from that age, in a career sense, um, I knew what I wanted to be, and that was a sports journalist. Wow. And in fact, I used to say, I want to be the sports editor of The Sun. Yep. The Sun uh, News Pictorial, which is now the Herald Sun. Yep. So, uh, and that's where I started my career, on The Sun News Pictorial. So um, I was obsessive about it. It was the only thing I was ever interested in doing. And I came out of school and I was lucky enough to end up doing that. But the footy bug, uh, yeah, just absolutely floored me. And, um, you know, I, I used to I'm, – I'm just trying to think of some examples of the obsessive behaviour. I had – one of the first books I was given was the Courage Book of VFL Finals. And it was, mm-hmm. um, you know, every year sort of talking about – the finals and the scores and the details and whatever, and I would memorise every premiership winner. You know, I used to actually. I've got. I can rattle them off from about the mid forty, oh, early forties now. But I used to be able to recite every premiership <laughs> winner for every really year. stuff like that. Um, that was your party trick at the time. I've got a bit of a Rain Manish sort of memory for yeah. footy, and I'm one of those people. And this still happens that uh, you know important events music of the time, whatever, mm. anything can be linked back to a football match. So, yeah. Uh, first thing that comes to my head. So, I know when Princess Diana died. Oh, that was From what footy. I, that's From footy. What, that's what I was about to <laughs> yeah. say. That's yeah, exactly really. what I was going to say. Really? Yeah, because Essendon um, was playing Adelaide. It was the last home and away game of 1997. It was yeah. at Princess Park. Yeah. Would have been a Sunday morning, right? Uh, Sunday morning? Yeah, it was yeah. a Sunday afternoon game. Yeah, because it was Sunday, because I was junior footy. I was yeah. playing junior footy. It was Sunday and people were walking around saying... Well, people knew it had happened. Yes. And then I think about... Just before the game started, the news came through that she died. And, and yeah, but things like that. I, yeah. I sort of, uh, football games <laughs> yeah. tend to be my landmark. Uh, it's know? funny, isn't it? I remember when Princess Diana died and that was football. I remember, I remember things like that. But I guess I remember where I was 
Because I remember when Heath Ledger died. Oh, yeah. And I found that out. I remember exactly where I was, walking around a scaffold in Balnaring on this job site with my dad. And my buddy messaged me and I went, what the fuck? Um, but for me, I have landmarks. But for me, they're all wherever I was at the time. But well, you were just always at the footy. Well, well <laughs> actually, it's funny you mention Heath Ledger because I, I, I had a moment. It wasn't a footy thing. Yep. I, I was, funnily enough, and if you know me at all, incredibly unlikely, I was on the treadmill at a gym. <laughs> when the news came right. through that Heath Ledger really? had died. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, like those those moments in time. Mm. Funnel, funnily enough, and you know, I'm not trying to make light of it, but 9-11, um, mm-hmm. the night that happened, it was also the night that Matthew Lloyd was up at the tribunal oh, after yeah. the qualifying so final So you were like, where the fuck did I find what happened to Lloydie? What's with all this news coverage? Well, what happened was uh, I saw that he'd got, he got, what, one game. So he was only going to play if Essendon made the grand final. Uh-huh. And um, I got a call from my dad. I saw the name come up. And uh, I thought that's what he's ringing me about. Yeah. So he, he, you know, I pick up the phone. I go, oh, we're fucked. You know, blah, yeah. blah. And he was ringing to tell me, turn on your TV because yeah, yeah, this yeah. has just happened. So, yeah, that most things have some sort of football connection. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? I remember 9-11. Everyone remembers when they found out about 9-11. My dad rushed into um, my bedroom. How's this for, for parenting, right? I love my dad, you know. He's a, he's a great bloke. But he ran into my bedroom Burst the door open and said, get out of bed, World War Three just started. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like 14. Yeah, right. <laughs> I Jesus, you're young. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, well, well, that, what I remember distinctly about it was, so my dad <laughs> rings me and I, I rushed and turned on the TV. And, of course, the cameras are on the towers. And I see a plane go into the second tower. Mm. And I thought that they were replaying... So you saw that the live, first one. I saw that live, Fuck. and that's um, crazy, isn't it? yeah, it took that moment to register. Shit, that's another one. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's uh, that is still. I mean, hopefully, in a way, like if there's any ever more, if there's ever any yeah. more dramatic news yeah. footage than that, oh. it will be World War Three. That's you know, right. Like, Let's hope that is the craziest thing that we ever exactly. have to see in our lifetime. Exactly. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. So, so what's it like? Um, you remind me of a bloke. Um, or like hearing your story and knowing a little bit more about it now. It's only been five, ten minutes or whatever. But you remind me of a bloke um, named Ariel Halwani. He's a MMA reporter. Oh, yeah. And he started off... And he's not a MMA practice. I mean, he, I think he rolls a bit of jiu-jitsu. Or he's just a... He's a Jewish-French-Canadian bloke, I think, right? I think that's his heritage. Yeah. Um, and anyway, he just loved MMA so much. And I... Because I'm a big MMA fan. Yeah. Big footy fan. I played footy, whatever. Um, NBA and mixed martial arts, right. you know, UFC. You're very representative of the younger generation, yeah. Amer- American sports and, yeah. and uh, mixed martial arts, etc. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, and Ariel Helwani, he started off as just like kind of that reporter that you'd just be like, who is this bloke? He'd go to the press conferences, ask good questions, and you'd always see his face. But you go, who does this bloke work for? Like, what's mm. he doing? Like, who is he? And he just kind of hustled his way to his, 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 his dream scenario and his dream yeah. life. And now... Because Conor McGregor's um, fighting on Sunday and it's the first fight he's had in a while and I was watching the content around that last night mm. and I watched Ariel Helwani interview Conor McGregor on ESPN. Yeah. You know, like he, that's, he's living his best life. And, 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 yeah. but, but what I'm interested in is because I saw Ariel Helwani because I've been an MMA fan forever. I saw him do all, like work his way up to where he is now and, and yeah. whatever. But what's it like coming into a career in journalism and obviously, your dad would have been helpful, I guess. But mm. like, what is it? 
what is it like coming out of school and trying to become a journalist? Is it tough to get work? To, to, do you have consistent like 40-hour-a-week salary kind of, kind of yeah. stuff there? Or like how did it look? Well, like? I mean, to be honest, it, it's so long ago. It, it's just an entirely different world now. Yeah. And I, I yeah. would say it's harder to get into the media now because yep. it's just there's the media so is contracting content. and there's so many more people trying yep. to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, look, it was pretty conventional with me. I, I came straight out of high school. And that's one thing that's changed. I mean, basically now the newspapers, and I'm sure most people, they, they take on uni graduates, you know. Yep. So you've got, you've done a journalism or media sure. degree or something. I, sure. I just came straight out of HSC. In fact, when I started working on my son, I was still 17. I didn't turn really? 18 until a couple of months into the year. Um, it was, I mean, we're talking about 1983. It's yep. a long time ago. So yep. I, I can remember my first year, I was uh, what they called a copy boy, which yep. was like a a messenger, not a, not just a messenger, but you'd run a lot of errands, but mm-hmm. you'd also get to do some writing yep. and stuff as well. And it was a great introduction into how the whole newspaper process worked. I used to get uh, $105 a week, clear, yep. and that was my <laughs> weekly salary. I was yeah. still living at home then, so you know it was it was enough. Um, but there were there were plenty of opportunities. I, I was quite lucky um, that first year. You know, I made it known very early in the piece. I wanted to be on sport. I wanted mm-hmm. to be on sport. Mm-hmm. The training for most young journalists then was that you would get a taste of everything. So that meant general news reporting, yep. um, police rounds, courts, mm-hmm. pa- uh, politics, parliament, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. I basically did a bit of general reporting, but then as soon as there was an opportunity, they stuck me in sport. Yeah, really. And um, for, for whatever reason, the, the Sun sports staff of that time, so we're up to about sort of late 84 here, um, they were quite, funnily enough, they were quite sort of short-staffed. So I went in ostensibly the cadet that went on to sport, cadet mm-hmm. journalist, mm-hmm. and it rotated. Mm-hmm. Would be um, their role would be covering district cricket yep. and uh, VFA football. Mm-hmm. Now VFA football, it's sort of like yeah, VFL, VFL now, now. Yep. Yeah. second grade football, exactly. Um, and I thought fantastic, you know, and I did that. But they were short staffed enough so that I also got thrown. I did a, a VFL game every week. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I ended up doing Sheffield Shield cricket and some international cricket. And then a, a huge thing for me uh, in, at the start of 1985, they said, you're going to be Lou Richards' ghost. So yeah, Lou right. Richards, it's hard to impress upon people of your yeah. age just how big Lou Richards was. He yeah. was the, right. the Eddie Maguire of, yeah. of uh, bigger, in fact. Yeah, the, Every, John, the Johnny Cash to American listeners, kind of like the... Yeah, like and, the, and, um, and Lou was a former footy champion who'd gone into the media. Everyone knew Lou. You yeah. know, he, was, he was the same. He was on the sun. He was yep. Channel 7, World of Sport. Anyway, I got to ghost Lou Richards and uh, for, for a year... I would uh, drive around with Lou, helping him do his interviews and writing his stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And, so uh, you're like his squire. Yeah, yeah. And, and Lou, uh, you know, geez, geez, Lou was great to work with. He, you know, he, he had a fairly healthy ego, but, you know, he could <laughs> laugh at himself and he was never shy of sort of pumping you up as well. Yep. Um, and he was just fantastic to me. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, for example, the first time I met Ted Witten, mm-hmm. you know, the, the great EJ Witten, um, we're out. 
Lou and I had gone to Footscray to interview someone and Teddy was just sort of roaming the corridors as he did, you know, <laughs> being Ted Whitten. And Lou goes, ah, Teddy, uh, come and meet the young fella, you know. So, and Ted does his, Ted Whitten does his famous handshake where he used to virtually pull people off their feet. <laughs> but I'm standing there, you know, this sort of 19-year-old kid standing between Lou Richards and Ted Whitten. And I was just like, How does, to get here? does it get any better than this? You know, so... <laughs> right. It was a great introduction to mm-hmm. journalism and to sports journalism particularly. And basically, when my time was supposed to be up on sport, they, they left me in sport. Mm-hmm. And um, I stayed at the Sun until 1987. And mm-hmm. then I went to The Age and ended up staying at The Age for 30 years yeah. until, um, until mid-2017. Unbelievable. So in those early days, how much of, um, how much of getting that start do you put down to luck and how much do you put down to talent and how much do you put down to hard work? Um, well, as far as getting into the industry is concerned, um, I'd like to think I did it under my own steam. You yeah, know, yeah I, for sure. I, I had pretty good HSC marks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was, I was very interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, my general knowledge was good. Mm-hmm. It certainly helped that my father was yeah and and sorry here's the other thing i need to explain the um my my dad worked for the herald the Mm -hmm. old evening newspaper in melbourne the herald which was massive yep in the 60s 70s and the sun news pictorial and the herald were both part of the same company the herald and weekly times and were in the same office so Um, a lot of the people making the decisions on these things knew my dad very well and yeah dad was Actually, Dad was far more popular than I was. <laughs> People used to, even when well, I was we would have had twenty, thirty years on. Yeah, well, let's be honest. But even when I was a kid and far less cynical and 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 sort of grouchy than I am now, people would come up to me and go, oh, jeez, I can't believe you, Dad. Son, he's so nice. You know? <laughs> um, You're like, hey, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so that, um, I mean, that that didn't hurt. Um, but yeah, look, I, I was I was interested and I was passionate, and I'd like to think I was pretty knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And um, I could write, you yeah. know, so uh, it's a reasonable combination. You know, like over the years, people say, you know, what does it take to be a journalist? Well, mm. you know, it's no sort of magic formula. It's, it's being interested in the world around you. Yep. It's being well-read. Mm-hmm. General knowledge, I can't stress that enough. You know, like... Not, general knowledge. Yeah, well, I mean, it's okay to specialise in particular areas, yep. but who knows? Like even today, I mean, you know, you might be a sports reporter sitting on sport and then... Uh, you know, a bomb goes off in the middle of a city. Well, it's all hands on deck, you yeah. know, and your sort of your um, purer journalistic skills have to come into play. Yeah. So that's part of it as well. Um, and it, just having a curiosity about the world around you. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think I, I did it under my own steam. And then yeah. I'd like to think I, you know, sort of proved... I had talent and... Of course. You're um, not going to be in the industry for 45, whatever, 30, haven't been any years without being able to prove the talent. Well, I just mean that start that you got because that start seemed like obviously you had talent, obviously you would have had to work hard, but it seemed like you got a bit of luck. You know what I mean? With the the Teddy Whitten and the Lou Richards stuff and, you know, getting to that, especially especially with the Lou Richards, you're like, wow, this is such an opportunity to learn from just one of the best and one of oh, the most yeah. respected and be put in those places and meeting those people that, that yeah. you would have been meeting with Lou. You know, it sounds like just you wouldn't have got anywhere without talent and hard work, let's be honest. But but with a bit of luck, it probably yeah. got you a really good start, I feel like. And also, I think having good uh, teachers and, and mentors. And that's another thing. I, I've always, my whole career, really tried to 
be a good mentor or, you know, if someone asks me for advice or whatever, I'll always happily give it. You know, I have a lot of people even now, you know, sort of email me out of the blue and say, you know, like, can I talk to you about becoming, getting into the media? And Mm -hmm. I I try to sort of make myself as available as I can because I think what it was like for me and how much I benefited from people passing on their knowledge. And that's, that helps the whole industry sort of survive and, and be of a, a high standard. Yeah. Well, you're just giving back to what people, what people gave to you. Yeah. You know, I've done very little in business, but I still, I have people, I run my own business. I've run a couple of businesses. I have people ask me for advice and I had some amazing mentors and I'll always the same. I'll never, I'll never, I'll say, yeah, man, I'll say, beware of false prophets, but you can take as much of my time as you like. I'm happy to give it. Just, you know, I don't know what I'm fucking really talking about, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's really great. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant to go down this track yeah. right now in this part of this conversation, but I'm going to anyway. So, yeah. so you spent a lot of time in the um, in obviously journalism and news, yeah. and obviously with your father's background and, and so forth as well. And I, I want to just go back to something that you mentioned very early in t- talking about introducing yourself, yep. um, and where news is at now, yep. um, because <clears throat> I don't watch the news anymore. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. And I'm really interested to hear your thoughts, but. I remember sitting at my house. This is one of those other points where you remember it perfectly where you were. Yeah. Not that, but, but it was just a big one for me. I remember sitting in my lounge room and I had the TV on and I was just doing whatever. I was by myself and um, I remember the news came on and it was newsflash. Um, uh, family of four have died. Mother, mother right, drives her car accidentally off, a, off, a, off the road and hits a tree and her, all her family have killed in a ball, died in a ball of flames. And I was like, and I'd already been thinking down this, this route. I was like, how the fuck does that benefit me, them, or the general public? Yeah. And I've had a friend who was living with me who was a journalist. And she explained to me like, there is things that you need to know. And there's things that, the, the, there's like some sort of a saying, like there's things that the, the public need to know. And there's things that the public should know. And it's got to be a mix of between the two, whatever. But I just feel like it's all trash. Really? I feel like the news, journalistic yeah. in, in newspapers and on most Channel 7, Channel 9 news reports or whatever, yeah. it's 80-20 bad and it's all, most of it is stuff that we don't, not, not most of it, but more than half of it is, I think, is stuff that we don't need, need to, know. to know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What do you um, think is going on with the news? Like, where do you think it's this? Because you're obviously passionate about it because yeah. you mentioned something about it earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you've got to spare a couple of days. I mean, it's firstly, it sort of depends on the platform, right? So when you were talking about the car crash thing, I was thinking there's a, a famous old saying in newspapers, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Meaning, you know... Sort bad news Bad news. Yeah, exactly. Effectively. Um, lead being lead story. You yes. Know? Um, TV news is very, for obvious reasons, very uh, vision-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, so there might be something that... The, new, the news on its own isn't a big deal at all, but the pictures are very yeah, footage, compelling. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, again, that's how that works. Yeah. That is happening a lot more uh, now online. So, um, you know, if there's video of stuff, uh, it might be, you know, I mean, uh, there's a hundred examples, you know, like it might be someone gets into a Barney over a shopping centre car park Someone mm. pulls out their phone and films it. Well, mm. if you're reporting, you know, two people had a fight over a car park spot. Well, of course, that's not going to be in the newspaper. Mm. But if you've got a video of two yeah. middle-aged women going hammer and tongs, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, the, so, the, so the uh, technology has sort of, in part, changed the focus of news. Mm-hmm. Where I get 
there's so many things I get cranky about in terms of where the media's gone. One of them is, and I was thinking about what you were saying, so there are a lot of stories that they do have some element of appeal appeal to the public through uh, almost voyeuristic reasons, and Mm. they can be, you know, fatalities, car accidents, spectacular misadventures, those sorts of things. Do we need to know them? No, we probably don't. Mm. And particularly today, you know, what what would you have if you weren't having that? Well, ideally, you would have things that were informing us about stuff we really need to know more about, mm. i.e., and yes, I've been banging this drum a lot lately, climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of... Uh, and hey, don't get me wrong, I, I don't know nearly enough about it, but mm-hmm. I've certainly, and particularly given what's been going on the last month in Australia, mm-hmm. I've become a lot more informed and passionate about, you know, the sort of things that need to happen in this country if we're to help preserve our bloody... Mm. where we live yeah. for future generations. So there's a lot of things like that that should get far more media coverage than they do. Mm. They don't because media organisations are always sort of treading... They have to remember the commercial imperative. Yeah. They have to be, to an extent, driven by their readers. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, like I've been in the midst of these discussions, there are stories, not just on climate change, but political stuff or, you know, sort of corruption type stories that are quite involved and detailed and take some telling. Mm-hmm. And they might be really important stories for people to know about, but if they can't be told in a, what they say, sexy manner, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so entertaining reading or, or the yep. stories are personalised, sort mm-hmm. of told through individual voices. Yep. Um, there tends to be a, a bit of a, a sort of snooze factor with the mm. public at large. And mm. it's newspapers particularly have increasingly um, <clears throat> found this difficulty in that there's been almost a separation in objectives between the print editions of newspapers and their online versions. Yep. Let, actually, it's it's sort of coming back together now through, through the reason that the print editions, unfortunately, are sort of reducing in quality. But, you know, there'd be days where you could pick up the age and um, what was the main story on page three, you know, a really prominent story. You'd go online and it'd be right down the bottom of the page. Why? Because it was sort of dull but worthy. You know, mm-hmm. it was dry and there was nothing particularly sexy about it. Mm-hmm. In contrast, there might be a story given huge prominence online, which was, I don't know, uh, Miley Cyrus does a racy video and shows a nipple, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be a story in the newspaper, but online, wow, we've got pictures and we've got a video and this sort of stuff. So the priorities have sort of been skewed by that. And, I mean, if you have a look at TV, seriously, I, I think back to... Even in the 80s, you know, when I was a sort of young adult, if you had a look, I always say this to people, if you had a look at a a nightly television guide for for Melbourne or wherever, city in Australia, Mm -hmm. from the mid to late 80s and put it side by side with one now, free to air I'm talking about, you'd be staggered. You know, Mm -hmm. like back then you you still had plenty of current affairs shows, Mm -hmm. the news was a lot more serious. Yep. There'd be, um, you know, sort of quality documentaries, Mm -hmm. movies. Um, And then 
I like I, I literally don't watch free to air TV no, now apart from sport because yep. it's just wall to wall reality TV. TV. Yeah. Mm. And trash again. I, I do a podcast. Uh, one podcast I do is called Rock and Roll, and we uh, it's with Brian Mannix from Uncanny X Men and Kevin yep. Hillier, mm-hmm. DJ uh, career DJ, and um, we often talk about the state of TV. And every time you sort of say some new ridiculous show comes on, you go, well, "Can it get any worse?" Well, three months later, well, yes, it can because <laughs> you know you had the, like. Uh, what was it? Lego Masters. You know, people building stuff out of Lego. <laughs> Apparently it raided its socks off. And then you had the, uh, what was that one recently? The Masked Singer. You know, people yeah, dressed yeah, up yeah. In, in giant lobster costumes. What about um, Married at First Sight? Oh, all that shit, you know? Like, <laughs> and I... Oh, my God. And people get sucked into it. And then what, what I really hate the most about it is, even if you don't watch it, that stuff now is the subject of enormous amounts of print journalism on the major websites, recaps of the episodes. So I have literally never watched a second of reality TV, but I can still tell you who these people (laughs) are. I can still tell you who Who ends up winning the the Bachelor. And I hate the fact that I know. I'm almost, you know, someone asked me two weeks later and I know the answer and I say, get out of my head. I don't want to know that, Mm -hmm. you know. So, again, sorry, very long-winded explanation. But in in summary, I'd say, yeah, news has been cheapened. Mm. I hate the focus on celebritydom um, and the obsession with, even in a football sense, you know, uh, wags, you know, what the wags are doing Mm. and uh, Rebecca Judd, you know, doing... The whole celebrity thing's ridiculous, really. Ah, look, I hate it. You know, I I saw um, what happened the other day. Someone signed a new contract in the NBA... Yeah. And I'm a massive NBA fan. Yeah. And the boys, oh, that's right. Anthony Davis um, knocked back, um, he, uh, knocked back 260 million yeah. for four years because he can get um, five years over over 200 next year on the free agent market. So right. he didn't resign with the Lakers. Yeah. And my mates, we have a little basketball thread on Facebook and they messaged me, AD knocked back the Lakers. And we know that he'll probably sign again next year, but he just wanted to have the max deal over yeah. five years. And then I sat there and I was like, I remember writing, that's fucking ridiculous, isn't it? $160 million. I said, I fucking love Anthony Davis. Mm. He brings me so much joy watching him play basketball, but pay him a few million a year. Oh, look, it's, I mean... You know what I mean? Oh, it's Like, considering what is going on in the world. It's absurd. Climate change, for example. Like, there's fuck all money that goes towards climate change. Take 147 of Anthony Davis's 150 million, or 200 million, and um, put it towards things that actually matter. Oh, you can't, it's, it's all, you know economically driven because that's what the NBA make and the players are the product. So I get it. I understand it. But it's just the system's dumb. It's it's obscene. And and this is why, uh, I mean, not specifically that, but I mean, my, my, um, my political background is to the left because, Mm. you know, my, my parents, um, I guess they sort of grew up in, with the second world war as a backdrop and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they were hard times and, Mm -hmm they were very big on social justice and, mm-hmm. and people being given a fair go. And yep. unfortunately, I think whilst this country talks a lot about the land of the fair go and whatever, it, frankly, these days, it's bullshit. And mm. I think... I, I, yeah, jeez, I'm getting right off no, the track right. here. Well, I, for me... We're not here to talk about footy, by the way. <laughs> oh, we're here to talk about whatever. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. this stuff, you know. Well, for me... Um, <clears throat> A real turning point for this country was the mid-90s. I mean, specifically 1996, the election of the Howard government, 
um, the rise of Pauline Hanson the first mm-hmm. time around. So you had this country basically rejecting the agenda of the Paul Keating government, which was sort of outward-looking, mm-hmm. seeking to expand our horizons into Asia and mm-hmm. beyond our own borders, um, progressive in terms of you know putting things on the agenda like becoming a republic, mm-hmm. the flag, you know stuff like that. All those things are important to me in terms of Australia being a, a modern, progressive, outward-looking country. And mm-hmm. people, for whatever reason, people got sort of twitchy and nervous about all that and said, you know, we're not focusing on our own backyard. John Howard, to his credit, very smart politically, sort of seized upon that. And comfortable and relaxed was his mantra. But it was all about sort of almost drawing down the curtains. Plus, at the same time, you had the the emergence of Pauline Hanson and the failure, I think, of that government and of the media, again culpable, to slap that down mm-hmm. and not give it oxygen. And the media is, with Hanson, the media has done that several times since. She's been sort of dead in the water politically. And then she bobs up on Dancing with the Stars mm. or Sunrise, mm. use her as a credible panellist. Mm. There she is again the other day parroting absolute dribble about, oh, climate change is crap, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, sort of that racist bent that, to be perfectly honest, I think is a sort of latent streak in the Australian psyche, mm-hmm. much as I hate to say it, I think that gets tapped into by people like that yeah. and it gets given licence and it becomes legitimised. Yeah. The other big problem with that uh, vis-a-vis the media is you have one media organisation in this country, News Corp, owned mm-hmm. by Rupert Murdoch, that owns more than 60% of the entire country's media. Yeah. And they get to basically set the agenda. And whereas once Mur- Murdoch was always a very political animal, but in a way that served his business interests, I mm-hmm. think as he's got older and, and less, the money has become slightly less of a concern for him and it's about ideology. And yep. as he's got older, he has become even more hardline right-wing. Mm-hmm. And his papers now are pursuing agendas that are quite nakedly obvious. So it's not just the amount of commentary, which is a lot more, mm-hmm. but the editorialising within news stories, the uh, selections which are made about news, the, you know, the sort of decisions which stories to push and which mm-hmm. to ignore. Mm-hmm. E.g., you know, the other day when the latest opinion polls came out and Morrison's approval rating as PM had plummeted, mm-hmm. that is a big story, or yeah. it has been. The Age and other media outlets gave it the sort of space it warranted. Mm-hmm. I got on the Herald Sun website and it was down on the third scroll yeah, scroll yeah. down page because yeah. they didn't and they didn't open it for comments either. Yep. That sort of stuff. So the it, and and when it comes to climate change, particularly, this is what I'm most pissed off with News Corp about. People like Andrew Bolt, Chris mm, Kenny, what a moron. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> They are people who are out of step with popular opinion. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, a majority of people in this country believe that we do need action on climate change. You've got Mm -hmm. Andrew Bolt writing on a daily basis that it's a hoax, it doesn't exist. That, the amount of coverage that those views get, and then unfortunately they get perpetuated among people who aren't as interested or aren't as driven to find out for themselves. So they just start parroting the same old denialist crap. Yeah, well, the thing is, nowadays, everything's fed off an algorithm. 
So people might go and read the newspaper and agree with a point that Andrew Bolt came out with and then they'll go on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and probably YouTube is the best example rather than the other two and then they'll watch more climate denial or right wing or whatever 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 it is I'm not just using climate change but I'm using that as the example yeah. but um, and then they'll get fed more of what they like yeah, 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 there's yeah. no getting fed and it's all but it's all through an algorithm yeah. you know it's all and it's all autoplay so there's so much YouTube that people watch yeah. this is one of the other <clears> problems I think that with news is you don't get the other side because for one there's people like Rupert Murdoch who own 60% of the newspapers in Australia so, and then two is the algorithm problem. So, but didn't there used to be laws against owning that much of the newspaper and like fair, fair laws against, laws against cross ownership laws? Yeah. I mean, you couldn't own more than, <clears throat> there were various things like you couldn't own a paper in the same city as a major free to air TV network yeah. or you couldn't, there couldn't be a total monopoly. Those laws were basically thrown out by um, trying to remember which government it was, but you know, in in the fairly recent past. In fact, it might have even been Turnbull. It might be yeah, that right. recent that that, right. that relaxing that allowed a, <clears throat> a further concentration of media ownership. So the diversity of opinion is is even narrower. Yeah. And you mentioned social media. Like I, I'm big. I love Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, way too much time on Twitter, but Facebook to me, is a cesspit. That yep. is where your craziest sort of alt-right conspiracy mm-hmm. theories emerge and are mm-hmm. given licence mm-hmm. and are spread far mm-hmm. and wide. And, we, you know, we've seen in the example of the US election in 2016 how big a, an impact the spreading of, of fake news, yeah. like genuine fake news, mm. had on, on that election result. Mm. You know, so things like that, the contraction of the media and, 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 you know, media moguls having too much power, you know, all those things sort of nip away at the fabric of uh, healthy democracy. And mm. that's another issue I see with this country now, that the the uh, range of opinion is so narrow now and it, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I think we risk having the fundamental principles of our democracy eroded be, mm. because not enough people are being given the information they deserve to be able to access. Yeah. Well, it's funny, isn't it? History is written by the winners or the people that own the rights to print the newspapers. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me that... Because Facebook, for example, have um, you know been have gotten in trouble in the past for pushing their own agendas. Twitter cancel people in the, the, the hard right, but they mm. won't cancel anyone in the hard left because they're a leftist-leaning you know, media organisation. And these are the biggest media organisations in the world. Rupert Murdoch is, it's not a social media platform, but he owns obviously all the media in Australia. So surely, like just to, just to skip forward 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, surely there's got to be some... Surely there's got to be some mechanism that is put in place that stops this from happening. Because if you control the news, you control the people, really. That's yeah. part of controlling fuck, the, the society, the culture and the society. Well, I, I, I tend to think it'll happen more by uh, sort of osmosis than by legislation. Yep. Um, I think... I mean, Murdoch, uh, you know, look, he's... He feel, it feels like he's going to live forever. He's not going to live that much longer. But Lachlan, he, the son who's going to sort of take over, a lot of people say that his politics are, are even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, the media has such an issue now generating enough revenue that I think 
Um, there may not be uh, a lot of those sort of mogul type organisations. They may divest themselves of enough media interest because there's no money in it. Yeah. So like News Corp, for example, have poured a lot more money into entertainment. You know, Fox Studios mm-hmm. and. Um, TV and stuff like that, and they've got out of a lot of newspaper stuff. Mm-hmm. And the newspaper stuff they hang on to and the sort of pure media stuff they hang on to tends to be sort of a vanity project type thing, which, yep. for example, the Australian newspaper, which has been going since 1964, it's always run at a loss, yep. but Murdoch has been prepared to sustain the losses because he wanted to have a national broadsheet, you yep. know. What does so, a national broadsheet mean, just so I know? Because I don't oh, really know well, what the Oh, well, a broadsheet is. is just the size of the paper. So, yeah. uh, in fact... Like the age used to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, in fact, I think the Oz might be the last surviving broadsheet in this country. That's right. just the size. Okay, cool. Is there any difference? In what, the size? I know that there's a size. I know the size difference. quality? No, just in like the way... Say you read a broadsheet, you yeah. read the old age, or you read like... Yeah. Is there any difference in the way like... that? A, a, or is it just a paper that's on printed on bigger yeah, paper? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, obviously the layout's different depending mm. on the page. I mean, there tended to be... There was a philosophical thing that broadsheet papers were more serious and appealing yep. to a more intellectual audience yep. than what people always thought of the age compared to the Herald Sun, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you know, the difference... Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I love the age, I love my time there, but even in terms of content and audience, <coughs> there's the gap between the age and the Herald Sun has been vastly reduced. You know, mm. they're not that different newspapers now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So... And you were telling me before the show, so we've gone right down this rabbit hole, so we might as well stick around here for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, so you're talking to me about your, um, you're quite passionate about, about climate change. Um, yeah, I think it's a funny situation, isn't it? Because I, you know, people, I remember, um, who was it? Um, one of our journalists, um, who was it? I can't remember who it was, but um, one of the Australian journalists, middle-aged, kind of like, he was probably like, 50 odd uh, years old and he was talking to one of the um, protesters outside the climate rallies uh, two months ago or whatever mm. and he was all he was doing was um, taking the piss out of the climate activists he's like oh you didn't need to work today did you mate oh, you, what are you doing you got nothing better to do and he's like oh no I just the, the activist was like oh I'm sorry but I just don't think there's anything more important he said, I have a job he's like and he's like oh yeah you and you what do you think why do you think you can Go and ruin people's days. Look at these people over here. There's traffic jams up here. These poor people can't get to work. Rah, rah, rah. And, he's, and the, the climate activist is like, yeah, but with all due respect, sir. Who was it? Fuck. And anyway, he's like, with, with all due respect, sir, like there's bigger problems than, mm-hmm. than people getting to work. And, and it's funny because I think people will get fired up. Like my, um, my uncle put a, uh, was um, posting in a fa- family Facebook group about climate change and he's very right-wing climate change is this that and, that. and and one of the things he was talking about i had to stay quiet in the in the in the group because I, I just would have turned into a shit show was you know all these young kids this is the narrative i keep hearing all these young kids they're coming to us with protests but they're not coming with coming to us with answers i was like that's not their fucking job to come up with the answers it's their well, job to make the noise and say hey you guys <laughs> fucking start coming up with the answers because and there's a funny thing so just to finish up i want to get your, your thoughts but so um, I've got a group of mates, another Facebook group, my buddies, and they're really conspiratorial and they're all pretty right-leaning, in, in, especially when it comes to climate change, especially one of them. And I, they're my mates, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, oh, forget my point. But, but there's, a, there's a book over here because uh, everyone's kind of climate change this, climate change that. There's a book on my bookshelf called The Sixth Extinction and it's about the six extinction level events 
for the flora and fauna of Earth. And this is over 4 billion years since mm. the start of Earth, um, start of the planet. So, and it traces back, it's like, you know, I forget all the, all the titles of the eras, but it's like, you know, the Triassic and the, and the Jurassic and the fucking whatever. And there's, it's basically, there's, there's five of them. And then there's a sixth one. And it's like asteroid, volcanoes, asteroid, volcanoes, asteroid, asteroid, human beings. Mm. We're in the absolute midst. And this is not the climate warms. Um, this is the, the, the climate naturally warms or there's a narrative getting pushed by the left, blah, blah. This is statistical data that shows that our impact over... Because it's, it's judged on like the flora and fauna of the planet over the course of like 50 years. Mm. It's not like a, you know, yeah, yeah, two-year yeah. thing. It's yeah. a, that's like the, the sample size, whatever. And whatever it categorizes, like 30% of the world's flora and fauna will die in the 50 years yeah. total. And we're in the middle of that, the sixth version. Yeah. And it's purely brought upon, or brought upon by us. And it's just like, yeah, I just, I also get quite frustrated by, by it. And I think part of, I'm going on a bit of a rant now, but I think um, I, I've just got an... I've, in the back of my mind, I'm just I'm wondering whether I think there's a rise in mental health issues, anxiety and depression and so forth. And I think part of that is more reporting because this day and age, it's okay to tell someone about it. So I yeah. think that is that is a genuine part of it. Yeah. But I think two other parts that I think have um, the biggest impact is social media, and the other one is, and I'm not, I'm just really getting my head around this idea, but I really think that a lot of people are fucking unhappy subconsciously because they know that we're it's if the news is telling you we're past the point of no return we're past the point of no return we're fucking it for the next generations we got 50 years till it's fucked that's subconsciously not going to make people happy no i i yeah i mean there's a bit of territory there but yeah. I, I i think i think that's right i think there's a part of the denialism comes from a can't bear to concede mm. that this is actually happening because mm. what are the shocking ramifications of that mm. In terms of, um, you know, so, so saying to the protesters, all you do is complain about it, what are your solutions? Well, this is what annoys me about the blowback towards Greta Thunberg. Yeah. You know, who... Uh, yeah, I mean, you've got to step back from the issues for a moment. You've got a 16-year-old autistic girl mm. who is basically being harassed and bullied yeah. by, by middle-aged adults. What, yeah. what, since when has that been okay? Yeah, yeah. But it's why it, it, the nature of the blowback against her is, oh, she's not proposing any solutions. She's just saying we've got to stop killing the planet. Well, first, A, that's a pretty decent message, is it? <laughs> yeah. But secondly, exactly what you said before, and this is where I, uh, my sort of philosophy too I don't know any solutions, yeah. but the scientists have been telling us this yeah, shit for right. 30 years. Mm. We now have something like, it's actually higher than 97%. I'm told now the scientific consensus on uh, man-made climate change mm. is now 99% mm. of informed career scientists yeah. who do this stuff. It's their yeah. bread and butter. They are telling us and have been for some time mm. that we have to stop relying on fossil fuels. Mm. We have to seek renewable energy mm. sources. We have to, you know, reduce our cons consumption of certain foods and, mm. and uh, um, you know, uh, eat less meat, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, agriculture, Well, yeah. I mean, some of, the, some of the solutions are quite dramatic, but we're being told this by science, and there's absolute acceptance of that in the scientific world. Why are people so scared of, uh, of accepting that? Yeah. 
these are the same people who would never question science when it comes to religion. Well, medicine. Yeah, you know, medicine. Or, well, yeah. Except anti-vaxxers, but they're yeah. a tiny, tiny minority. Mm. I mean, you know, we're told penicillin is good for you; it'll make you better. Okay, yeah. I take it. No yeah. one questions that. Yeah. No one questions the. Uh, you know, however long we've known now that the world is round and not flat. Yeah, yeah. No one questions that. Yeah. Because that was a, a, a theory or a truism that was arrived at by scientific consensus. Mm. Why this one? Mm. Well, a number of reasons. There are, there are greater economic um, ramifications yeah. out of this. Yeah. But also, I think that thing of disbelief, it's sort of like mm. the scale is too big. Mm. The implications are too dramatic. Yeah. The people sort of can't, how do I deal with it? Well, I'm going to shut my eyes and close my ears and go la, 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 well, the and first, hope it goes isn't away. The, the first step of, um, of um, on the, isn't the first step of, what is it? What's the, what's the continuum of um, the seven or eight or whatever steps of like accepting something? The first stage is denial? You uh, know what I'm about? Oh, you mean like Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Fortunately, I'm not a pisshead, so I've never, <laughs> no, I've never anyway, had to know cares? what those steps. Who cares? Who cares? But, but ba- back to the, um, but yeah, but but back to um, Greta Thunberg or uh, how do you pronounce the second name? I actually don't know. Um, I think I, it's Thunberg. Thunberg, but, yeah, but yeah. I, I Look, uh, yeah, 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 Thunberg, yeah. Thunberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw her interviewed on um, um, it was like Alan or Oprah or something like that. Yeah. And she said, "Oh, you know, you're really doing a great thing." Blah blah blah. Um, how's it been? We've seen you been in America trying to inform people of your thoughts on the whole matter and and you've been over to australia and so on and so forth what is the what is the um how is it different in europe Mm. what is the what is the vibe in europe in terms of climate change and she's like oh it's very different she's like no one debates it in europe because we believe in science like that's what she said to oprah and it was just (laughs) like it was i fucking remember seeing it and i was like oh my god like you could not have said that anymore well anymore perfectly i'm gonna say something here that Will probably, I don't know, I mean, you know, I could be run out of the country, but I mean, I, I was in Europe recently for close to a month, straight after the end of this footy season, I went to Europe. We went to uh, Crete and Croatia. Crete's and, great. And I mean, Crete. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Uh, I, I, I love Germany as well. Um, but I've, I've done the Europe thing a, a few times now, and every time I do it now, I end up thinking they are so much more adult mm. than us. You know, mm. there's a sort of sophistication about their thinking. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't ever see, well, I didn't anyway in, in Europe, you don't ever sort of come across uh, bogans. You know, yeah. there's sort of no equivalent. Yeah. Everyone appears sort of informed about things. There's a maturity about... I mean, the fact that, you know, people talk about the nanny state here, mm. but, you know, the fact that there's no question about taking a drink out of a bar there because every people know no one's going to carry on like a fuckwit. You know, <laughs> yeah, whereas here, right. if someone takes a drink that's out, right. you know, yeah. smash the glass. Yeah, and, be interesting. And there's a real sort of, I don't know, is it lack of sophistication or is it immaturity or what about this country? And, you know, it, it can be funny and it can be irreverent and whatever, but I think in a, um, in a, a philosophical sense, it's starting to cost us because... Issues like this, mm. we refuse to take seriously. Mm. And, you know, we, we talk about our rebelliousness and stuff as a country, but in a way, I think we're quite conformist. I mean, we had the chance to become a republic in 1999, and we turned our backs on it mm. because for some reason, some people didn't want to cut ties with the mother country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our flag, I mean, I know it's symbolic, but I'm big on this. 
Our flag has another fucking country's flag on it. <laughs> yes. I don't like it. Yeah, you know, like so. So how can you say we're rebellious and independent and yeah. and, and you know, sort of uh, feisty and whatever when we won't stand on our own two feet? Mm-hmm. We won't think about these issues, you know, and that and that depresses me, frankly. And and look, people go to Europe and come back and say stuff like this and everyone, you, you, their natural reaction is go, oh, you wanker. Well, if you don't like it, piss off. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I might end up doing that because <laughs> I, 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 there are certain things about this country, the way it's sort of gone as a nation, which I find profoundly depressing. And look, I love footy. I'm going to uh, be hard to find footy somewhere else in the world, but mm-hmm. uh, I might just get, get to a point where I think well, that's a sacrifice I'm prepared to make. Well, uh, my um, dad's cousin was the president of the Milwaukee Bombers, so oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I was going to go over there and um, coach one at one point was yeah, one right. of my uh, one of my ideas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is. Um, I don't really get too much deep into the Australian like political. Uh, I don't. I can't speak to too much of what you're talking about. But I have thought a lot about our culture and society as a whole, like human beings, mm. and I really believe that we're doing it wrong. Um, we're doing it really, really wrong. And a lot of it's too hard to, to undo, you know? The amount of people in the world, the fact that we live in, we live in um, secluded, uh, secluded little office, uh, sorry, units and, and we work in office cubicles and stuff. We're supposed to be community-driven, you know, tribal people and, and we're, um, we're fucking it all up. But agriculture fucked it for us by letting us grow so quickly and so fast. And now we're, we're, you can't undo it, you know? So um, we're in a real tricky situation. But, I mean... Necessity is the mother of invention, so fingers crossed. We're pretty, we're pretty, you know. There's a lot of ingenuity going around in the, the human race, so hopefully we can ride in the nick of time, figure our way around it, and then hopefully continue to move forward as a as a culture and society and fuck, figure it out. Because when I I'm pretty happy, though, lucky, and and pretty positive normally, but when I'm stressed or having a down period or whatever, I think way too deeply on the state of everything and the state of everything when i'm in that mood is like it's fucking not very good i should say at this point that yeah look i I mean i i can get like that and i think as you get older you get more reflective and you've got a greater time span to compare yeah eras so it's easier to fall into that trap look don't i am there's plenty about life I enjoy, and I oh for plenty, sure plenty oh, about, I don't doubt it plenty about Myself Australia too. plenty yep. about Australia that yeah. I appreciate the good fortune. I mean that's another issue about people who sort of say keep everyone else out. Well, you've had the good fortune to be born here. Mm. You didn't sort of inherit living here yeah, by right. Um, so I appreciate my luck in in that extent. Uh, to that extent. I do love my sport. I love my music. You know, so I, I do get, don't get me wrong here, I do get plenty of pleasure out of life, you know, mm-hmm. but I think that these are important considerations that I wish more people would pay some attention to. That's mm. all. Yeah. But, but, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm st- in between all this. I am still, I mean, it's January now. I still spend way too much time, you know, sort of, I did it again the other night, you know, flicking the channels looking for the cricket and I go past Fox footy and, oh, there's the 84 grand final again. <laughs> I must have watched the last quarter of the 84 grand final 500 times. I actually uh, literally know every bit of play in the last quarter yeah, of that game. Stuff like so that. Funny. You know, I'll, I'll disappear down a YouTube rabbit hole watching old South Australian grand final, stuff yeah. like that. Like, So I am quite obsessive. But yeah, I mean, the point I'm making here is there's still plenty of stuff I enjoy. Oh, no, for sure. And I don't think anyone that will be listening 
really thinks that we're pessimistic, negative. It's just... Oh, I get that on Twitter a lot. Well, and yeah. We haven't really talked about Twitter, and no. Twitter is a, a double-edged sword for me, but I do get a lot of that. Oh, you're so negative, you know? Yeah, well, look, I mean, you can look at it a number of ways. You can look at it as negative, or you can look at it as people that are having a conversation that needs to be had, you know? Like, mm. we're just... Uh, uh, the, the subtitle or subheading of this podcast is Brolosophy, Philosophy Through the Eyes of an Idiot, um, <laughs> but, the, but the other subheading is Telling Interesting and Important Stories. And I was just, to be honest, this conversation was, I was interested in your history of making a, a, a life out of the passion that you have in football. So, yeah. so narrow and so whatever. And I was really keen to tell that story. Yeah. We haven't really touched much on it, but that's totally, I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. But telling interesting, important stories, you know, like the, there has to be someone doing that so that others can understand what's going on. So I think all we're doing here is we're talking about things that are going on in the world. Yeah. We're not creating these problems. These are issues that are really are happening. And we're just raising the point and talking about them because if nobody does, then nobody does. Well, you know? don't get me wrong here. I, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, sort of full of my own self-importance. But you, when you get a decent-sized Twitter following, it sort of is possible to put something out there and have people at least think about it. And what's interesting with this is, you know, I always said when I started on Twitter, it's not just going to be footy. You know, I mm. love music. I am interested in the world, blah, blah, blah. And for a long time, and I've made a joke of it, you know, people who disagree with you or whatever, they'll, they'll tweet, stick to sport. Mm. So these days, as soon as I get one, I retweet it and I just write, ding, ding, you know, there's number one for the day and whatever. <laughs> Funnily enough, over the last month or so, when my tweeting's been almost exclusively about politics, people have started to say, when I tweet something about the Big Bash game I'm watching or whatever, they go, stick to politics, you know. <laughs> so it's sort of, it's sort of swung around That's a bit. Funny. But look, I would say, and this applies to anyone in the sports media like myself, I mean, sport is an escape. And yeah. I understand why people who are right into sport, they don't want to hear about stuff that gets them down and yeah. isn't sort of in their wheelhouse or whatever. But I think maybe people who follow sport are people who can most be helped by someone bringing this sort of stuff to their attention. Mm -hmm. And again, don't get me wrong, it's not that calculated on my part. I see something that interests me or makes me angry or whatever, I tweet something. It's, mm. There's no great thought process goes into it. But I think it's quite possible to be passionate about sport, and I am, and be passionate about the world around you. The two, two things aren't mutually exclusive. You know, That's so. right. You're Rowan Connolly, not Rowan Connolly sport. Yeah, you well, know what I mean? Yeah, and, like you're and, a human being. Yeah, and, and I think as I've got older, in the last few years, that has become more important to me. And I, yeah. I do get shirty when people assume that because you're a sports journal, you don't know anything about anything yeah. else. Now, having said all that, we haven't really talked about, about, <laughs> no, about the footy, have we? And we have no time to. So. <laughs> no, that's look, totally fine. Um, but um, no, nah, it's all interesting stuff. This, uh, All that stuff really interests me. And I... And I as soon as you mentioned before the show, there was some other stuff you, you thought would be interesting to talk to. I thought that this might happen because <laughs> um, it's, to me, with all due respect, it, it is more important and interesting than, than sport, you know? Yeah, well, Although, like, I wanted to hear your story and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but it's, yeah, I get fired up by that kind of stuff. And again, you, you kind of said, I think, something along these lines, but I really know fuck all about anything. You know, I want to preface no, no, that no, to I, anyone that's well, listening can, to what I, can, I say. I can tell in our brief dealing that that's not you selling yourself <laughs> short. There. Yeah, but you know, I'm a well. That, this is it. But as I said, it's philosophy through the eyes of an idiot. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, cool. Well, we've actually. I know you got to get out of here at um, half past, Rowan. So I actually, out of all the questions I had about football, 
I want to actually ask you one football-related question that's got two parts, and that's it. Good. So, and and then we'll we'll have five minutes. We'll plug all your stuff and wrap it up, and we'll get you out of here. Yeah. But the one thing that I wanted to ask somebody who's dedicated their whole life to sport is who in your history of watching AFL football have been your favourite players? Let's just let, let's answer that one first. Okay. How many am I allowed? Five. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> well, for various reasons, um, Gary Ablett Senior, mm-hmm. the most gifted footballer I've ever seen. Like he mm-hmm. he did stuff that other no other player I've seen was physically capable of doing. And yep. what am I talking about? Things like snapping goals over his shoulder from fifty five metres <laughs> out. Um, an incredible combination of power and strength and athletic rare athletic gifts, mm-hmm. um, just a, a football genius. Yep. You know, a bit of a car crash in other ways, unfortunately, but a football genius uh, and just so gifted. So he, he's certainly one. Um, other other ones tend to be a bit more sentimental. One a name that might surprise people, I mentioned the 1984 grand final, mm-hmm. Leon Baker. Oh, okay. Um, came to Essendon at the age of 28, uh, played in those 84-85 premierships. Mm-hmm. Only played five seasons, but one of the neatest, most compact, most efficient footballers I've ever seen. Should have won that Norm Smith medal for his performance in the 84 grand final. Kicked four goals. The magnificent blind turn, one of the great wow, moments I in football. I don't know Leon Baker. History. I can't believe you say you're an Essendon oh, supporter. <laughs> no, I knew know. you would hate that. Have you, ever, you, have you not seen highlights of the 84 Grand Final? I've watched final? the 84 Grand Final. Okay, well, the bit where but, the, but the guy taps the ball in front of himself and blind turns and kicks a goal. Yeah, That's yeah, Leon yeah, Baker. Yeah, yeah. Number four. It was years ago. The, the Educate last yourself, Bill. <laughs> you need to. So, uh, and uh, Tim Watson, another hero of mine, he said Leon was as good a footballer as he ever watched. So. Yep. Um, and and a, a great story too, Leon. He was a bit of a bit of a hippie and a bit of a football nomad, and he mm-hmm. played all over the country in Cairns and Bunbury and Perth, and came to Melbourne late, and uh, just had immediate impact. Famously media shy, mm-hmm. hardly ever did an interview. Um, came back here in 2015 for the reunion of those flag sides mm-hmm. and I got to interview him at cool. length and it was such a great story. It's almost the favourite piece of That's journalism great. I've ever done. Awesome. So he's a hero. Tim Watson, uh, another hero of mine, Job's dad for some oh, of your vintage. <laughs> no, no, Tim Watson's Tim Watson to me. <laughs> well, Job's Tim's, Tim's Tim Watson's son. Superstar, me. you know, four best and fairest, explosive, powerful player. I saw him play, I mean, again, how old I am, I saw him play his first game. Do you know how oh, old he was when he played his yeah, first 15. game? 15 and yeah. 10 months. It was out it's at Waverley in 1977. They played in a draw against yeah. Richmond. I was 12. I was sitting there watching it. Um, I had Fire his, out, I had his number on my duffel coat, Tim 32 Watson. Yeah. So he was always a hero of mine. Who else would I talk about? Uh, there's three. Um, I mean, you know, in a, in a sort of... A, a, Fan base perspective, they're probably going to be from your club. Who who else have I enjoyed watching? Peter Dacos, you know, mm. he played for Collingwood. Love Peter Dacos. Wasn't great for Essendon in the 1990 Grand Final, but uh, you know, a, a bit of a freak around goals. Yep. You know, manufactured the dribble goals and and stuff like that. So amazing to watch. Um, in terms of. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I probably need time to think about it. Wayne Carey, incredible player, you know, mm. a contemporary of Ablett's. I mean, how lucky 
how lucky. In fact, there was a game on Fox Footy the other night. It was a game between St Kilda and Sydney mm-hmm. at the SCG in '94. St Kilda was still six goals down with seven minutes left to play. They got yep. up and won. Plugger Tony Lockett ended up kicking eleven goals. <laughs> he was amazing to watch. Yep. And that, um, yeah. Look, I'll, I'll say this instead of nominate a particular person. That early '90s era. In fact, there was a podcast done last year called 1993, The Greatest Season That Was, yep. which I agree with entirely, not just because Essendon won the premiership, <laughs> but it was that was almost footy at its peak. Yep. It was a professional game, but it was still free-flowing yep. and quite high-scoring. Dunstall, Kernahan, Lockett, Well, that's Adler. what I was going to say. Yep. And the one, Carey. one moment in time you had Ab- Ablett, Dunstall, Lockett, Modra, Modra. Carey... Sumich, yeah. Kernahan, Salmon. You know, it was it was incredible. I mean, you had three guys that season kick over 100 goals. Mm. You know, the leading goal kicker these days kicks 60-something. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... Tony uh, Modra was... Um, I, was a, I was an Essendon supporter, but I wrote letters to Tony Modra because he was my favourite player, and they made me an um, Adelaide junior supporter. Oh, really? They just sent me all this Adelaide stuff. I'm like, I don't even fucking go for Adelaide, <laughs> but I just like Tony Modra so much. I used to write fucking uh, fan letters to him, I think. He was my well, favourite player. Well, uh, that, uh, again, 93 preliminary final, Essen and Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Adelaide 42 points up at half-time. Essendon comes back and wins. The, the single loudest roar I've ever heard at the MCG was in the, second, in the third quarter of that game, and Anyone listening who's an Essendon fan, probably maybe a bit older than you, will know the moment I'm talking about. It, it was like the the whole ground was about to collapse, so yeah. loud was the roar as Essendon came back. Um, those moments are sort of my fondest memories, mm. I think, of football, both in a uh, an aesthetic watching the game sense, but also professionally. I mean, to be able to you know sit there in the press box, the MCG, best seats in the house. Writing about your team winning a premiership yeah. it doesn't get a lot better than that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a long sure. time since I had that uh, memory, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, all right, and you got one minute to answer this one because oh. we want to get out here on time. Who's the best player of all time, AFL footy? Um, you only get one. Look, I, I would say Ablett. Now, I yep. need to qualify that. He doesn't have the best record, mm-hmm. um, but. He did stuff that no other player I've ever seen was capable of doing. Yep. So that, for me, is the best definition of best. Someone yep. who did peak. stuff. No, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yep. And, you know, have a look at his highlight reel. Have a look at him kicking 14 goals against Essendon at the yep. MCG in a losing side. Yep. In fact, that was a great story. I didn't get the chance to tell you. It was about ghosting a column by Gary Ablett for the Sunday Age. <laughs> that was a bizarre experience. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe we can do that another time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we probably need to come get you in and actually talk about footy, Rowan. <laughs> um, I wanted to tell you about my footy career. We were, we actually I've won one uh, senior premiership when I was playing. Oh, well done. And who, we were um, with for Rye. Oh, okay. Rye Footy Club, oh, okay. Peninsula. And we actually were forty-three points down uh, in the Jesus. halfway through the second. No, this is in the prelim though. Oh, halfway through the second quarter of the prelim. Yeah. And uh, we stormed home, one by three points, and then we we beat the undefeated reigning premiers by three points. Was that Sorrento? Nah, Lang Warren. Uh, okay. Yeah, but Sereno were always our big rivals. Yeah. And Sereno have been pumping the last 10 years. Obviously, they've been winning all the flags. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lots of my mates play at Sereno and Franks and YCW. They've been very successful yeah. um, local, local footy-wise. But um, I don't play, play anymore. I haven't played for years. But um, all right, cool. So, Rowan, um, 
Where can people find you if they want to find more of your footy stuff, your writings? They want to fucking send you some hate on Twitter. Like, where you got time to okay. plug some stuff uh, um, before we wrap all it right. up? All right. So, Twitter, um, my uh, handle on Twitter is at Rowan Connolly. So, R O H A N underscore Connolly, C O N L L Y. Um, I'll usually tell you to FRO if you abuse me or whatever and either mute you or block you, but there'll be some sort of interaction. So you can, <laughs> you can find me there. Um, the website is uh, just uh, footyology.com.au. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got to be honest, it's been a bit quiet of late because it's off-season yep. and haven't had much going on there. For sure. The podcast uh, I'd like to push because I love doing that with Mark Fine who mm-hmm. – was a, a very popular host on 1116 SEN where I worked for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we didn't even talk about the radio stuff. Um, <laughs> no. Finey, Finey and I do that podcast together. During the season, we do two a week, Thursday and Sunday nights, preview and review. Uh, but we've kept it going off-season too. So we've got a summer edition one, which we record on a Monday morning. We have different segments, but we don't, Again, we don't just talk about the footy and sport on that. We're doing, um, we do a thing called life hacks where mm-hmm. we just three random observations, something that's interested us during the week. Yep. We do a thing called vinyl and video where we pick a year and go back and revisit our favourite music, movies, and TV of that year. Mm-hmm. We do the rant off where we just sort of do a go berserk, something that's annoyed <laughs> us or whatever. <laughs> Um, we have a bit of fun with it. so That's oh, good. Uh, it, it's going all right. So, uh, yeah, I'd love anyone who hasn't heard that, please give it a listen. It's on iTunes, yep. Spotify, all, the podcast all, all your platforms. podcast platforms. Yep. I upload it onto the Footyology website, so mm-hmm. you can find it there. I tweet it out and put it on Facebook as well. Um, beyond that, where can you find me? Well, you know, because it's January, I'm still sort of working out what my schedule for this year is going to look like. Yep. Um, I do. I have the last couple of years done some work for Essendon Football Club, uh, radio. Most recently, I've been on Three AW doing footy with them. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's happening this year yet, so mm-hmm. I can't sort of say definitively I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. I've written for various websites. I'm sort of in the process of negotiating that at the moment. Um, but yeah, look, I, I took a voluntary redundancy from the age June end of June two seventeen. Set up the Footyology website. It's pretty hard. Uh, running and maintaining and monetizing an independent website, I can tell you. So, for sure, uh, there is a donation facility on that, yep. which uh, feel free to use. Well, that's how a lot of creators make their, make, their, make their money, though, these days, you know. Well, people say to me, Why aren't you on Patreon? Yeah, and uh, well, I, I just decided to do it this way, but yep. um, you know, look, if you I would say in a broader sense, you know, I think the future of the media is going to increasingly be about niche media. And I think that's a good thing. I I think the more we can break down those monolithic media organisations and get a variety of views, and increasingly the most informed views, I think, are coming from independent media sources. So it's important that people support those initiatives. So, um, yeah, if I could sort of give a little plug, I guess that would be it. Cool. Awesome. Well, Rowan, that was a fascinating conversation. Didn't talk fuck all about footy. No, but, <laughs> but it was, thanks for coming no, on the show. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having Absolutely. me. And uh, to your listeners, um, thanks for putting up with me. <laughs> yeah, no worries. All right, and that's a wrap. All righty, guys. If you enjoyed that show, please support us. Uh, there's many ways you can support the show. You can support the show by telling a friend. You can support the show by commenting on our social media, tagging a mate. 
You can support the show by subscribing. So all good platforms for podcasts we're, we're uh, available on. So uh, um, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, and also you can subscribe via YouTube at Bill Kerr TV. Also, don't forget to check out trueprotein.com today. Use the code BRO for 10% off. Check out au.yeti.com forward slash bro to check out the best coolers in the business. And then check out athena.co, A-T-H-Y-N-A, and use the code bro when you inquire um, to chat about a live demo for, uh, for, for building your team. And use the code bro and you'll get 20 hours free of uh, virtual assistant services with us. This has been Philosophy Through the Eyes of an Idiot. And see you next week.